Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. We start a brand new series today and uh, called Battle Ready. Today I'm going to kick that series off, and the title of my sermon today is Take Your Stand. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today in faith, in worship, and God, we are ready to receive your word today. Our hearts are open, our minds are ready and alert. God, speak to us today through your word. And let it be transformative and powerful. Let it do exactly what you have purposed it to do today. We're ready. We want to grow. We want you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it probably won't come as a big surprise to you today to learn that I was not the most athletic person in the world growing up, right? So... My memories, I think my athletic career peaked right around age 13 in junior high school. And uh, most of my memories from physical education at that point revolve around being hit in the face with a ball and the subsequent bloody nose and trip to the nurse's office. This was, this was my world, right? So I'd be out there in the field, you know, minding my own business, boom, soccer ball in the face. You know, or the pass, here's that basketball in the face. <laughs> Volleyball spike in the face. Dodgeball, literally the whole reason is to not get hit with the ball. Multiple times hit in the face in dodgeball. So it probably won't surprise anyone that like come softball season, I was like as far in the outfield as you could possibly get. That was my goal, stay away from the ball. You know, it's not the ball that I could see coming that was the problem. It was the ball I didn't see coming. And that's the thing. I, I think it was more an issue of what I didn't notice was happening around me than it was that I couldn't catch a ball. Although I probably couldn't catch a ball either. Both are probably true. I just wasn't paying attention. You know, most of the time when we get tripped up in our walk with God, it's because of something we didn't see coming. It's because of the attack that takes us by surprise, the thing that leaves us unaware. Paul encouraged us in this passage to stand our ground, to stay standing five times when stuff hits us so we don't get knocked over. To stay steady, we've got to stay alert to what's going on around us. He encouraged the Romans. In Romans chapter 13, he said, wake up from your slumber because our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. He said, put on the armor of light. 
We're going to talk about what that is today. Peter encouraged us the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He said, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I'm here to tell you today, we've got to wake up to what is a spiritual battle around us today. You know what? Most of the problems that we haven't been able to fix in our society, we've been trying all kinds of natural solutions, all kinds of ideas, and the best and the brightest of us have not been able to fix issues like poverty and violence and racism, all these big issues in our society, because we've been using natural solutions for what is a spiritual problem. We've got to wake up to what's a spiritual issue. Put on that spiritual armor. Ephesians 6, he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now that word here, the devil, that's translated the devil, in the Greek it means liar or slanderer. All these schemes are based on lies. Because the devil's strategy, the one thing he's got in his toolkit is to take us by surprise to deceive us where we don't see it coming. And I gotta tell you, we do have a real adversary, the devil and his helpers. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. He said to some evil people in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the, a liar and the father of lies. Nothing he says is true. You know, there's some things that, are, that happen to us, bad things that happen to us, that aren't because of the devil. They're because we've made bad choices. So if I eat bacon every day of my life, because I love bacon, you know, I turn 45 pretty soon, but probably by my 45th birthday, I can expect I'm gonna have a heart attack. That's probably gonna happen. I can stand there on that day and say, the devil gave me a heart attack. Or I can be realistic about it, thank you, and realize that probably the pig in my veins the pig fat in my vein, the veins is what actually produced that heart attack. Now, what might have happened is that the devil might have deceived me into thinking that eating bacon every single day of my life was a good idea. That's where that might have happened. But we can break a lot of those generational issues if we're alert. <laughs> yeah. Cheers for no heart attacks. I appreciate that. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities of evil here on earth and in the heavens. This is not a solo fight, but it's something that we're all in. There are some things that are spiritual issues. They're not natural issues. And Paul's trying to help the Ephesian church understand, sometimes we want to put it on a person. This, this person's attacking me. This group is attacking me. I feel like everyone's against me. But it's not really about the person. It's not really about the group. It's not about the political party. It's not about anything. It's about something spiritual that's happening. There's spiritual resistance happening. You know, the Ephesian Greek Christians that he's talking to in this passage were formerly worshipers of a false goddess named Artemis. And Artemis was a hunter. 
She was vengeful and she was angry. And to worship her meant you had to appease her to keep her happy. And if you didn't keep her happy, what would happen is she would kill pregnant mothers and babies. Whenever this happened, people, people recognized, okay, this is, this, this, this is the influence of Artemis, so she has to be appeased. And it kept those people in bondage for a long time. So what Paul's trying to do to the Ephesian Christians who had formerly been worshiping her is say, hey, listen, you got to recognize that there are spiritual wickedness in this world, and this is part of that spiritual wickedness that exists. And you know what? Today, we've got to make the same connections. And in American society, we worship false gods, too. Now, we don't call them gods, so they're a little harder to identify. But they are philosophical foundations that are at the center of our culture. And we worship them. Some of them include hedonism. That's the false god of appetites. It lies to us and tells us that whatever desires we feel should be satisfied, that we deserve to have them satisfied. But the lie is that it's never satisfied, and it enslaves us to addiction, to sexual brokenness. It shatters families. That's the outcome of serving hedonism. There's the false god of consumerism. It's the false god of loving stuff. The lie is that the more expensive, the more luxurious the stuff, the more social status we have, the more people will respect us and notice us. But it's never satisfied. And it leads to debt and enslaves us to endless interest payments. There's the false gods of subjectivism and humanism. And these gods tell us that only my personal experience defines what's real, what's true. That my truth is the only valid truth. That humans can determine right and wrong. That there's no eternal truth. This false god uproots us from the truth of God's spiritual laws to a new adaptable moral law that has a basis in human ideas, in, in cultural trends, so it shifts from generation to generation, from, from person to person. And you know what? This false god leads to harsh judgments based on a completely changing moral system. So people are constantly bound by anxiety, by shame, by guilt, and confusion because what used to be wrong is now right, and what used to be right is now wrong, and they don't know what to do. You know what? These false gods, they want our service. They'd like to keep us stuck. They want us to believe the lie that they'll take care of us. Like we aren't really in control. But this feeling is a lie. As Christians, the Bible tells us that we are not slaves to anything. John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And you know what? Sometimes we have to stand up and defend that freedom because the enemy would love to rob it from us. And sometimes we have to take our stand for those who are more vulnerable, our children, or people who are not spiritually aware. We've got to take our stand against those lies. Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you know what? This isn't just something that's like an inner toughening up. I got to 
Mm. This is a, an authority, a dominion that comes from the Lord to us. He gives us his strength and his authority. And Revelation 12 gives us a spoiler alert. You know what? In the end, Jesus wins. The enemy and all his minions get thrown into the lake of fire forever. We already know the outcome of this story. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of his lies or his deception in your life. If we will just resist, we will win this fight. Romans 16, 20 says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church collectively is advancing and Hades, that symbol of death itself, cannot withstand the strength and the power of our, our almighty God that he's given to us. So how do we do it? How do we take our stand? Paul says you start by putting on the armor of God. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Paul's talking about Roman military tactics here. He's talking about taking the high ground and standing instead of retreating and letting things go. He says that armor of God is going to defend us. It's going to protect us in that. And here's what's so special about that armor. It's not just armor that God gives us, but it's armor that God himself has used Isaiah 59 verse 16 says, God saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. He put on his own righteousness that sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. See, here's the thing. That armor of God that Paul is describing here, this is armor that God has already used. It's been battle tested. It's been been proven to be effective already. It works and it fits us perfectly because we are the heirs of God as his children. This is our inheritance that he has provided for us. We are clothed with his power when we put on that armor. And you know what? The beautiful thing is that God doesn't leave us on our own. He fights with us. Psalm 35 verse 1 Fight against those who fight against me. This is David's, David's prayer. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Now, here's the thing. This inherited armor that we've received from God, it shows spiritual markers of God's rank and authority. You know, whenever a Roman soldier put on that armor, they represented Rome to whoever they were with. All of a sudden, they weren't just a man they were a representative, an official representative of Rome, and they carried all of the authority of that empire with them in that moment with the person that they were with. So we've got to recognize that the authority of Christ comes when we put on that armor. And we've got to know where our authority flows from and how to step under that flow of authority. Because when we put on God's armor, we're signing up to be part of God's army and we submit to the layers of leadership that God has put into place in his army. Jesus, when he was commissioning the 70 in Luke chapter 11 to go out and do ministry in his name, 
He gave them his power. He gave them his authority. And in verse 17, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, when we submit ourselves to God, when we give our whole life to Christ, when we submit ourselves to the authority of the scriptures, even when we don't like what it says, when we submit ourselves to the human authorities that God has put in place in his kingdom, then that authority flows down and we receive that same power that Christ gave his disciples where nothing can harm us. And that doesn't mean that we are controlled or dominated. It means that we recognize where the source of our authority comes from. So we don't want to step outside of that because it makes us vulnerable. Jesus said to his disciples, this isn't something for you to lord over people. Don't rejoice that you have power. Rejoice that you have a connection to God, that your names are written in heaven. So I want to take a few minutes before we finish today and look at that spiritual armor for just a moment. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Paul writes, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so here Paul's writing this from prison. He's surrounded by Roman soldiers as he writes this, and he's probably looking at them as he's writing them, describing what he sees in a Roman legionnaire. These pieces are what a Roman legionnaire would have worn as their armor. And this special dress was an indicator of their Roman citizenship, and it protected them. So the belt of truth, that was a military belt. It had hooks and loops on it. Weapons would be attached to it. It was also the type of buckle that it had on it was a representation of the rank. It was a symbol of authority. As we put on the belt of truth, we hold the standard of the truth of the gospel in the face of the devil's lies to our culture. And we live in a reliable and integrous way where what you see is what you get, and that protects us. The breastplate of righteousness, and that same word pistis means justice. We put it on to cover our heart, to cover our vulnerable organs. And this isn't just a point of receiving the righteousness of God that's imputed, but it also is joining in the righteous works that God is doing in the world around us. It is bringing justice, imitating God in his righteous acts to bring rightness to the world around us. Feet, wearing the, peace of the gospel of peace. You know, those Roman sandals had cleats on the bottom of them, and those cleats helped them to dig in and stand sure-footed and stable when they were being attacked. And that peace of the gospel keeps us sure-footed and stable when we're under attack. The shield of faith covered most of the body. 
you know, those shields, those Roman shields were coated in hides, animal hides, and they would soak them with water before battles, and that when, when arrows, when fiery arrows would get shot at the, that, that legion, those, those arrows would be extinguished against that wet hide. And that's what Paul's visualizing when he's describing this. And that shield was also a weapon where they could push forward through a crowd with, with that shield. Helmet of salvation. You know, that Roman helmet, it united them. It covered their facial features. It covered their hair. It made them look the same as everyone else. It gave them a new identity. And so when we cover ourselves with the helmet of salvation, we're taking on a new identity that covers our mind that says, I am a Christ follower. I am a Christian. And that helmet was intimidating to the enemy. It made them taller. It made them fierce. The sword of the spirit. It defends us with the truth when the enemy is lying to us. And, you know, we've got to find strategies for how to put this into work in our life when we're struggling in our minds. And there's all kinds of things that you can do to engage with Scripture, whether it's using a daily Bible reading plan in the Bible app. There's all kinds of technology there. We introduced you all to the SOAP devotional method just gives you a practice for how to engage scripture as you read, scripture memorization. You know what I've done sometimes in the past when I was struggling with something is put a scripture on my lock home screen on my phone. So every time I pick up my phone, that passage comes up and it's the first thing I see. And it reminds me of the truth of God's word. I've done it with an index card if you're old school. You know, a little index card that you carry around in your pocket or in your purse with you. Using a concordance to look up scriptures by topic or internet searches, all those kinds of things are great tools. I want to encourage you to think about maybe taking notes. I'm giving you all kinds of great passages and scriptures, but take notes with you. And there's been many times when I've gone back to my notes to help me remember what I heard in a service. Sometimes even years later, God will remind me of something and I'll be like, what was that? And it'll bring strength to me when I'm dealing with something in particular. All right, so how do we use this armor to take our stand when we're under attack? I'm going to give you a couple points and then we'll close. First thing is to enlist in God's spiritual armor, army. Listen, you can either be mowed over by the spiritual armies of the devil or you can sign up for the fight and be properly equipped and alert. Those are your choices, really. If you're in this, if you're in this, you're in the, you're in the battle, but it requires us to have an all in mentality about it. You know, in first Kings chapter 19, there's a story about the call of Elisha. I'm going to read you from verse 19 says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. And he began to disciple Elisha who took on his, his prophetic ministry. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my mother and father goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. Now listen to this. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I think this is the the ultimate all-in moment. So what's happened is you have Elisha who was 
sounds like a fairly prosperous farmer. All of a sudden, Elijah comes in, throws his cloak over him, doesn't say a word to him. And Elisha's like, that's it. I'm in. That's my moment. I recognize the opportunity. And he's, he makes it so that he can never come back to what he was doing before. It's not like, oh, let me give this to my brother and you take care of things. He, he killed his oxen and burned the plows. There was no going back. It's like, I don't know if you've ever lost a bunch of weight and then threw away all your fat clothes. It's like that. Or maybe you were always skinny and that was never an issue, but it's like when you do the big chop, you're, it's not coming back. It's over and done with. The toothpaste is out of the tube. It's not going back. But that's the kind of resolve that we've got to have when it comes to engaging this fight where we say, you know what? This is all of me. All of me is all in. This is what God is calling us to. And you know what? There's a lot of you here who've been in this fight for a long time. It can be really tempting when you've got decades into this to take a step back and say, you know what? It's the next generation's time to fight. I'm tired. Time for me to take a step back and focus on my family. I've got a brand new baby. It's time for someone else. Or it's not my turn yet. I'm still having a good time. I'm young. I got time. But here's the thing. When we lay aside that armor, we become vulnerable. We become vulnerable to those attacks. Our families become vulnerable. You know, tomorrow we celebrate the birth of the American nation. July 4, Independence Day. I'm pretty grateful to be in a place that provides us with freedom to worship in this way. That day... In 1776, they signed the Declaration of Independence and basically picked a very risky and very dangerous fight. I want to just look at a moment. Seven years had passed since they started that fight. Seven years of Revolutionary War, and they were still fighting. In 1783, the soldiers were burnt out and exhausted under George Washington's command. They were just done. And they hadn't been paid the wages that they were promised from Congress. They were broke and they were angry. And a petition started going around, encouraging the soldiers to mutiny and abandon the cause. And the petition argued, it said, the way is plain. If war continues, remove into the unsettled company, country. There, establish yourselves and leave an ungrateful country to defend itself. In other words, let's run off to the wilderness to where things haven't been settled. We'll just start over. Just leave all this mess and start over. Just run away. Be done. And here's what George Washington said in the Newburgh Address. He said, will we leave our wives and children to defend the farms, homes, lands, and property that cannot be carried into this new unsettled land? Or will we take our loved ones to die in the wilderness where there's no food or clothing or shelter? What are we going to do? In other words, there's no good option here. There's no going back. We've come too far. And Washington's men realized the truth of what he was saying, and they stayed to finish the fight. And you know what? Six months later, the war was over. They had won. You know what? We can't run from this fight. It's already here. It's already around us. We just have to step up and take our stand and trust that God is with us, that God has already equipped us for what we need to do. Second thing, we've got to discipline our thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 
Paul said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, here's the thing. Not every thought that goes through my mind is true or good. I got to evaluate my thoughts when, when I think them. Take a step back and say, is that a good thought? Is that a God thought? Does it line up with the word of God? And I've got to reject the ones that aren't in alignment with the truth of what God says. Building my identity in Christ, thought by thought, slowly over time. I got to ignore the peer pressure of society to think a certain way. The arguments, the pretensions, Paul calls them. They're pretentious. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message translation. He said in verse 3, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Fitting every thought into a structure of a life shaped by Christ. Paul talks about that in Romans 12 as well. How we are, we're not conformed to the pattern the world tells us we need to look like. We're transformed into the image of Christ. Thought by thought. Thought by thought. Taking captive of each thought. Making it obedient to what God says. How do we take our stand? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We gotta continuously be being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said in Ephesians 6, this is the, the Passion Translation, he said, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life-giving unit, union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in you and through you. The force of his explosive power flowing in you and through you. Where we're, we're being continuously filled, it's constantly flowing out of us in goodness, in ministry to people around us, in prayer, in, in what God does in our lives. For 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We get these, these supernatural spiritual superpowers they're just, they're not ordinary. They're not regular. There's something in us that makes us very bold, very confident because of the spirit of God that's in us. How do we take our stand? Through prayer. In verse 18 of Ephesians 6, Paul lays it out. This is the next step. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We pray all the time. We pray about everything. We pray at every occasion. We pray God's word. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for God to intervene. We pray. We pray. First John chapter 5 verse 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked from him. You see, things change when we pray. 
things change when we pray. It says that God actually, that Moses, when he prayed, he changed God's mind about things. And the more of us that pray together, the more powerful it is, the bigger the army, the bigger the spiritual victory becomes. And you know how do we do this? We do it by staying together. I want to talk to you about the Roman phalanx. Do you have a picture for me? There it is. Now, this was the Roman military strategy. This is a shield wall. And all these shields are locked together side by side, all the way across the front, all the way across the top. And when a Roman phalanx would move, they'd move all together like this through uh, an, an opposing military force. It was a, a moving fortress. It was impenetrable. It was overwhelming, an obstacle. And it was incredibly intimidating. Historians record that this created absolute terror and panic in the armies of the places where they would go. And those armies would run in panic at the sight of this because this was something that was not defeatable. And you know what? When we lock our faith together like this, when we are together we are an impenetrable force. You know, we're far more intimidating together than we are by ourselves. Far more intimidating. And that's why the devil's goal is to isolate us. It's the only way we're vulnerable is when we're by ourselves. You know, when we weren't meeting together during COVID, the height of COVID, so many were spiritually vulnerable. You still, you still see it today. And the lie that the devil circulates is that the church and its leaders are hopelessly flawed and so we're just better off doing our spirituality alone. It's a lie. Could, to put that back up there, that's what we look like to the devil when we stay together. That's what kind of power and authority we have when we stay together. Jesus said when we gather in prayer, significant things happen. Matthew 18, he said, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. When we're together in prayer, something significant happens supernaturally. And you know what? It's always been the case in every church, everywhere, prayer meetings are the hardest things to get people to. It's always the case. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the devil will fight us so hard on that. There's a reason why the devil will fight us so hard on being submitted to authority. These are things that make us spiritually powerful. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities we have to gather in prayer, to make it a priority to make Wednesday a priority when we gather for prayer and worship. These things, when we gather in prayer, when we lock our faith together, we become very fierce and things change. If there's things that you're concerned about for this fall in your family, in your government, in your society, in your schools, those are the things that we address on Wednesday in prayer. We bring that before the Lord and we see things change. We see God move in our nation. We see God move in our schools and our young people. That's what this is about. All right, last thing, and I'm closing, and uh, Pastor Russell, you can come. We praise God. We take our stand when we praise God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's one of my favorite passages. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and an enemy was on the way that Judah could not possibly defeat. It was bigger, it was stronger, it was more powerful. This was going to be a physical battle, but King Jehoshaphat recognized that there was something spiritual that was happening before there was ever anything happening in the natural. 
that they needed a spiritual victory in order to see something happen and manifest in the natural. And so he called an assembly, and they stood before the Lord at the temple. The temple. They gathered all the men, all the women, all the children of Judah, and stood before the Lord at the temple and prayed together. And they said, God, we need you to intervene. Verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then they waited before the Lord. And a prophetic word came. Verse 15 says, the word of the Lord came through a prophet named Jehaziel. And the Lord said, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And it says they worshiped the Lord there. But they didn't stop there. As they lined up to do battle, it says that they, they appointed on the front lines of their army worshipers who sang and praised God. And they sang together, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It's probably the weirdest battle strategy ever done. But they had worshipers out there who stood on the front lines and as they moved towards this terrible army that they could not possibly defeat, that was so much bigger than them, that was so much more intimidating, they said, our eyes are on you. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And here's what happened. As they sang, God began to put ambushes out on all of those enemies that came. So by the time they arrived to that battlefield, the battle was over. Every single enemy that had been arrayed against them was already dead. They came to a field that had already been cleared. I got to tell you, when we start to worship the Lord, it changes our perspective. We remember the power of our God. We remember the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. We remember how much we need him and how reliable he is when we put our trust in him. We're going to take a few moments before we close. If you would stand with me. We're going to worship together in just a few moments. And I want to encourage you today. I felt like as I was preparing, the Lord told me that there were some of you who have experienced wounding in the battle. You've been in the fight for a long time, and maybe there's some church hurt that you've carried. Maybe there's some things that are on the inside of you that God wants to heal. This isn't a courtroom for you. This is a hospital. This, this, this is a house where we care for our wounded. We care for those who have fallen in battle, who've been deceived, whatever it is. But I think... God wants to spend some time as we worship just putting some lives back together. He's here in this house. He's a great physician. He's here with his strength, with his power. And we can receive that today as we put our trust, as we put our hope in him. 
before we do that, I want to just invite anyone who's here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've been in this environment before, but you've never taken that step yet. I want to invite you on a journey with Jesus. And it just starts with saying, yes, God, I want you in my life. Yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to invite you to join me in that prayer this morning. It's a, a prayer of forgiveness that wipes away the past. It's a prayer of freedom where we can step into the freedom that God has provided for us. We don't have to be held by anything. It's a prayer to be filled with his spirit, with the, the strengthening, the inner strengthening that he gives us. It's a prayer of new beginnings, a fresh start in our life, a fresh start in our relationship with God. He doesn't stand over us judging what we've done. He doesn't hold us at arm length. He doesn't look at us in anger, but he holds his arms open in invitation, in love, and he's here available today. So with every eye closed, every head bowed in this room, we're going to just take one moment, and I want to invite you, if you'd like to be part of that prayer today, just slip up your hand right now. Not for me, but to signal heaven and let God know, this is me, I'm praying this. God, I want to, I want to be part of your family. I want your strengthening, I want your power today. I see a couple hands here today. Thank you for that step of faith. Church, can we pray this together in faith? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me to new life. I give myself to you today. Be my Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my past. Free me from whatever holds me. I want to be a child of God. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. My future is secure. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.